Why is strength the most important physical attribute for a fighter? This and more on this episode of The Fight Focus with starting strength coach and fit to fight instructor, Nick Delgadillo. What's up, everybody? This is Buck Grant. I reached out to Nick a week ago about a comment that was made on social media about strength and conditioning, not actually knowing how much this guy truly knew about the topic. Um, Nick has been making human beings stronger for many years as a highly sought after coach with the company Starting Strength, as well as a decorated martial artist and fit to fight instructor. He was able to impart some very powerful information to me about the importance of strength in our everyday lives and as it pertains to fighting and self-defense. Topics on the show included why is strength the most important aspect of one's physical existence? Why the barbell is the best tool for getting stronger? Why sports specific training is not ideal for maximum performance? Why is CrossFit an exercise and not training? The difference between training, practice, and performance? The difference between technique versus skill as it pertains to fighting and strength training? Is Olympic lifting effective for growing and gaining power for fighters and athletes? Kinetic chain versus movement patterns? How such catchphrases are being misused by modern day coaches? and much more. This podcast is brought to you by www.buckgrant.com, my personal website. Coming up soon, the Muay Thai Coach Clinic in August in Charlotte, North Carolina at Fit to Fight. This is a leadership development through the art of Thai boxing. We're going to learn Thai boxing and take a deep dive into it, as well as discuss leadership and communication skills. Really looking forward to that. Also, the Primal Edge Retreat in Costa Rica, December 1st through 8th. Once a year, I go to Costa Rica and we do a training camp, three hours a day during the day. Um, Great food, great people, beach, saltwater pool, an outstanding vacation to end the year and a great way to train with awesome people. If you want to do any of those things, come to my website. Once again, www.buckgrant.com. We are also brought to you by www.aperturefightfocused.com. Check out our online library of different training from Eli Knight in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Ryan Hoover for self-defense, Amber Saklinski for self-defense as well, Jarrett Wihongi for knife training and law enforcement training, and a list of various things, including myself. My shoot boxing DVDs are up there and my Muay Thai strategic series is up there. Check us out. Let us know what you think. Without further ado, here is Nick Delgadillo on The Fight Focus. All right, everybody. Welcome to The Fight Focus podcast. I'm here with Nick and I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Is it uh, Delgadillo? Yep, Delgadillo, you got Delgadillo, Delgadillo. Yeah. Yep. So, trying to practice my 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 culturalness. <laughs> Thanks we're, for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely, man. I think you and I are both. Uh, I'm going to make some assumptions here, but you and I both are kind of uh, 
probably ambiguously racial in some way. Like people, do people ask you what you are? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you and you're not going to ask me and then we'll just leave everybody hanging. Well, generally what I do with people, I start playing a game that people are like, well, what are you? I'm like, oh, this is fun. Guess. And then I let them scramble. I've had, <laughs> I feel I had Filipino aunties start talking to me in the Gallag when I was walking into like 7-Elevens. I'm like, I got nothing. I got yeah. nothing. You know, yeah. Puerto Ricans will start talking to me in Spanish. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I can't help you. I know a little bit. <laughs> I know yeah, a little I've bit. had the same. My first, the first one I remember was I was at a football camp way, like way back. I was like a sophomore in high school. And this was a, uh, this was a, it, it wasn't like at my school. It was one I traveled to. And this dude comes up to me and he's like, you Indian? <laughs> and, and I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? I never even thought about it. He's like, oh, oh, okay. All right. I get it. Yeah. Like, like native American Indian. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 He was, yeah. Cause he was, and I, uh, but I get, but I get that all the time. I get people just come up and start saying things to me in a different language or something. Yeah. I mean, isn't everybody a little bit Indian? Like that's the kind of the thing to say, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one sixteenth Cherokee on my mom's side. One thirty eighth, yeah, one thirty eighth. Yeah, I'm looking for my reparations. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, like, I found out about you through Ryan Hoover. Uh, he was like, "Man, you got to really talk talk to Nick, um, especially when all this, you know, CrossFit self defense stuff kind of blew the internet up for a, a hot minute." Right. And um, I called you. You were, you know gave me a ton of information in a really short period of time. I'm like, oh man, I got to get this guy on the show. And uh, and then I started looking at your background and I, I, I knew you were a CrossFit, I mean, uh, um, a Fit to Fight affiliate. Yeah. And I knew that you were <laughs> into strength and conditioning. Which <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, well yeah, he knows some stuff. And then I was like, oh no, 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 this guy really knows some stuff. So I felt like an idiot. <laughs> so I apologize about not knowing anything about you before I called you. Um, but the, you're with starting strength, you're with fit to fight, you have a pretty diverse background. So I was going to just, just start by like getting a little bit of like kind of background information, maybe starting with the martial arts side of it. Cause I think you and I have some pretty similar uh, backgrounds as far as what we trained in before. Okay. Yeah. So I started, uh, my, my first taste of martial arts was in uh, Muay Thai way back. I started probably in 2000. One or so. Who'd you train uh, with? I trained I'm from St. Louis, so I trained with a group of guys. Uh, Ron Smith's Muay Thai Academy in St. Louis. Okay. Uh, Jermaine Andre was my was my main teacher, and uh, <clears throat> I trained with those guys for four years or so. Uh, we and I, I got I got full into it, man. You know, training all the time. We were doing some submission grappling. I think back then uh, MMA was referred to as NHB. Yeah. So we would. Uh, you are we, old school, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was even on pay per view yet, but we would. Uh, we we did submission grappling once a week. We did a lot, a lot of Muay Thai. We got into like club security, and we would go around and train bouncers and stuff. So I got kind of my first taste of uh, of teaching martial arts um, in some some respect back then. Uh, and I've always loved teaching things. So. <clears throat> Um, shortly after that, my, uh, the, the class moved away from, from, they moved like an hour away. So I had to find another place to train and I had just heard about Krav Maga and I was driving by a studio one day and I said, Oh crap, there's Krav Maga. So I went in and started just working out there and, 
the guy who owned it was actually uh, one of the guys who used to do the instructor certifications in LA. So it was kind of a kind of a good situation, and I started working out there, started training, started teaching a few months after I signed up uh, at Krav Maga St. Louis, and then uh, that was it, man. That was kind of my uh, introduction to teaching classes. You know, got into, into conditioning, teaching conditioning classes and fitness classes, and kind of everything that goes with running a, a Krav Maga Worldwide Center or uh, yeah, Krav Maga Worldwide. Uh, uh, licensee or affiliate, whatever they call them. Gotcha. Uh, so I was involved in that world for a long time. I went through phase A, B, and C. Um, by the time I got to phase C, I was kind of uh, not really doing what they uh, wanted us to do, you know? So I, I, I kind of started thinking about things in different ways, and my classes were, you know, I'd go to, I'd go to the phase trainings, and, you know, it's like you would show up and feel like you're almost – regressing, you know, you're just kind of playing along and passing the test and then coming back and just setting everything aside and yeah. continuing on with what you're doing, you know, just to kind of progress along in the system. So, uh, I took a long, long break from being involved with any Krav Maga organization and, I, and I've moved a lot, you know, through work. I've been moving all over the country, uh, living in different places. So, uh, everywhere I've gone, I've run Krav Maga classes, run workshops, um, and then I finally settled here in Wichita Falls about three years ago um, through Starting Strength. So I, I work my, my full-time gig is working through, with Starting Strength. So uh, we settled here, and about a year ago, we opened uh, Defense Crowd Maga and I affiliated with, uh, with Fit to Fight. Um, and I've been following uh, Ryan and Fit to Fight for a long time, you know, just kind of following along on YouTube. Uh, copying whatever I could, stealing whatever I could, and, you know, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't wrestle in high school, you know, it was a huge regret. I wish I would have wrestled. Um, but I mean, those fit to fight videos like taught me basic wrestling, you know, and then I would teach it to people and, and, uh, and got into it that way. Uh, other than that, man, jujitsu, you know, I've been doing Brazilian jujitsu since, uh, 2006 or so. Okay. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm like the world's most experienced white belt, you know, <laughs> just off and on. Uh, we, we had a, we had a Gracie uh, affiliate in St. Louis and they would run classes at our, at our Krav Maga school. So I trained, I trained there. And then every time I moved, I would join a, a jujitsu school and then, uh, and then train. So, uh, yeah, so right now it's it's Krav Maga, it's uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I'm really into into Jiu Jitsu right now, um, and then running my my affiliate. Cool. You know, it's it's weird. Like I got I got into like martial arts primarily self defense. I was having a talk with uh, uh you know who Paulo is Paulo yeah. from uh, from Aperture and Funker. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a podcast being released here pretty soon with him. And I and Eli were literally at an airport right before they were flying out. We'd done some some filming in Charlotte and we're just sitting at a freaking bar drinking. And I was like, oh, I'll put my phone down. We'll just make this a podcast. And we started talking. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that, like, basically, there's only three reasons why guys get into martial arts. Um, I was like, no, dude, that's not true. He's like, all right, <laughs> let, let me test you out. He said, Bruce Lee. Yeah. They got beat up. UFC. Yeah. I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so you did read my book now. <laughs> but, 
But I find it funny because like, you know, coming from that, you know, grappling background, live training background, um, I, I started self-defense, but I got into Muay Thai and all that stuff early and jujitsu had just come on the scene and my, martial, my, my instructor was teaching it. And so we're doing a lot of live training and we're supplementing it with Filipino martial arts and stuff like that. Yeah. So I got away from the self-defense, like not not the self-defense itself, but the actual um, market of it, so to speak. And when I started looking back at it years later and I saw Krav happening, I was like, man, okay, well, Krav is like the new self-defense system. And I'm looking at a lot of cool situational stuff, but I didn't see a whole lot of like live training. I didn't see a whole lot of like sparring. And then I saw a whole lot of people basically bashing like, you know, well, MMA guys can't, don't know how to fight on the streets and, and all that. And it was kind of a turnoff because I was like, well, I'm not saying that like no ring fighters ever said that they knew any, everything about self-defense ever. Yeah. But I find it interesting that a lot of proud or self-defense instructors feel the need to attack mixed martial artists for not yeah. being street ready. Right. And I never really, I never really quite understood that. Yeah, and that, that's something I picked up on real early on as well. And I think it's from the from the uh, having started in Muay Thai, you know, where you're, uh, you know, sparring is just a part of it, yeah. you know. And, and then you go into the and every everywhere I've ever I've ever taught classes, we've always had a, a fight program of some kind. We've always had uh, grappling instructors come in and teach because you you cannot have just Krav Maga because it's look the way I look at it at this point is. Um, you know, with something like jujitsu, it takes so long to get to get comfortable with it. Even just the positions, even with having somebody on top of you, you know, getting that close to somebody, uh, it, it's set up for failure from day one. You know, you, from the first day you show up, you start failing immediately, mm-hmm. and and you have to be okay with failing. Over and over and over and over again, and the guy on the mat who's the black belt has failed more times than anybody else in the room. You know, and the the mentality with with Krav Maga is the opposite, right? You don't want people to fail because you want them to to be to get confident, and you want them to keep coming back. And it's designed to move a lot faster. You know, if if my if my clients aren't feeling a little bit more confident in the first week or so, they're not going to come back. They're just, it's just a different demographic. It's a different mindset. Um, so I try to, as best I can to, and this is why I like fit to fight so much because it, it, it kind of facilitates this, you know, the curriculum facilitates this where you try to incorporate as much of that live, uh, pressure, that live, that live feel, um, the, the real pushes and pulls and, and things that actually happen in a fight earlier on than any other thing I've ever done, you yeah. know, while still allowing you to, to, to progress a little bit at a time, you yeah. know, little small improvements, little victories rather than like coming in the first day, getting smashed and like, you never want to come back to jujitsu class again. Welcome to fight club. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, it, it's just like the perfect blend of both worlds because the first day I can teach somebody to pummel and I mean, that's, that's live for that person. They've never been that close to somebody before. They've never sweated, you know, like shared sweat with somebody and they've never, um, you know, it's just super uncomfortable, but Hey man, that's as far as we're going to get them today. And they've learned a valuable skill. Yeah. Uh, they're starting to learn a valuable skill, you know? So, uh, but yeah, a lot of these, and that's that, back to your earlier point. That's what um, I recognized earlier on, and, and I think a lot of the 
Krav Maga guys who have their head out of their ass realize this too, is that if you guys aren't fighting at your school, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just doing, uh, you're playing self-defense and you're doing fitness, you know, um, which is fine. You know I mean? Look, it, how many of us are really going to get into a fight? How many of us are really going to get into, get attacked? I think, I think really, if we're honest with ourselves, the, the chances of it happening are very, very small. Um, and those of us who, who stick with this and, and think it's important, you know, we're training for the, uh, for the, for the small eventuality, you know, this could happen and it's bad enough. The potential is bad enough that it's worth it to train this much. Right. So I think for the vast majority of people who are going to their office working and then coming to, to your crowd Maga center, Primarily, they're looking for a good workout, looking to have fun, maybe learn some self-defense on the side. And that's cool, you know, but uh, you can't take that and then extrapolate it to now you're a fighter, you know, unless unless you have a really, really solid curriculum that, that actually does that, you know, a system that actually does that. Um, and, uh, and most of the crowd Maga systems don't. It's just too slow. The skill, There's no skill. You know, you're learning techniques. You're not learning skill. Uh, you're learning to punch somebody and maybe like I said, it, uh, throwing a, throwing a right straight at somebody might end a lot of situations, you yeah. know, it might, right. but, and, and that might be enough, but it, that's a serious problem when you, when you got guys who think they're, they're, they can, they can take a, someone, someone with even a little bit of fight training, you know, a little bit of Muay Thai, a little bit of Jiu Jitsu, mm. they're going to wipe the floor with most problem instructors. Yeah. That's a great, and uh, I think this is a good segue into the strength side of it. I hope I come back to this because you said that there a, a distinction between strength or um, skill and technique, right? Yeah. That was, uh, so this will be a, a good transition. So y- your main thing is, is helping people get strong. Right. Yeah. And I, I've been reading up on, on the business that you're part of, the business that you're doing. Um, I read a, a quote of, on one of your pages talking about strength being the most important aspect of one's physical existence. Yes. And I would love to hear what that means. I know strength was a big factor for me growing up. Um, I remember the first Muay Thai fight I lost. It was like skill was pretty even, but that dude was just way stronger than I was. Right. And the yeah. thing that took me from an average fighter to a better fighter was was getting stronger. But I'd like to hear your, your, your point on that. Why do you guys take that standpoint? On it? Yeah. Well, we, we spend, this is like, this is a, a very long conversation. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. Um, you got a whole podcast, brother. Look, man, we, when, when I first talked to you, I was in the middle of a weekend seminar and we go 25 hours on this stuff, okay. you know, giving lectures and, and teaching the lifts. So, uh, and I'm used to kind of talking, real in depth on this. So, uh, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. Anyway, so uh, you said, you know, or actually the first sentence of, of the book of starting strength, uh, written by Mark Ripito is, um, physical strength is the most important thing in life or something like that. You know I mean? It's basically that. So, you know, most people read that and they're like, wait, no, that's bullshit. Uh, but you think about it for a second. They're like, okay, I can, I can kind of start to see this. Um, I mean, your ability, 
Uh, so we define strength as the ability to produce force against an external resistance, right? Uh, and let's forget the external resistance part right now, but let's just say it's the ability to produce force, right? Um, and when people think about strength, it kind of it, it's got some connotations. It, it brings up some imagery, and people are thinking of a power lifter or somebody in a gym doing a bench press or something like that. But strength, again, if we're going to just define it as the ability to produce force, strength is how you interact with everything. You know, when you walk, when you pick things up, when you push, when you pull, uh, everything that you do involves your physical ability to produce force, right? So let's take like an extreme example. Uh, when, when somebody's grandma falls down, right? They fall down, they break their hip, and then a lot of bad things happen and, and uh, life gets real rough for them. Uh, why is it that they fall down? Okay. Now, some people will tell you it's because they lost their balance. Some people will tell you uh, they don't have core strength, you know, all these different things. But let, let's just talk about balance in terms of, of strength. So every time you walk, you're disrupting your center of, of mass, right? You're moving your center of mass, you're falling essentially, and then you're catching yourself. Right? And then you take another step, it's a controlled fall, and you catch yourself. If you're just standing and somebody knocks you over, the wind blows, or you kind of lose your balance a little bit, your ability to be able to overcome that disruption in your center of mass versus your base of support is a, an expression of strength. Right, And we don't ever think about that because we're, we're young, we're healthy, and, and it's just not in our scope of thinking. Right, but for the 70 year old lady who's been sedentary for the last 20 years, every small perturbation of her center of balance becomes a, a, a huge effort, right? Mm -hmm. So like if, if she's at the grocery store and somebody bumps into her, she's gotta use a huge percentage of her strength to not fall down, mm -hmm. right? And it's something, in other words, to overcome that shift in her center of mass versus her center of her, center of her base of support. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, makes um, total sense. I mean, I'm coming off, if I had a meniscus tear in September and when it got repaired, it was like the ability to walk right. really made it apparent on like how important strength was. Being able to step off of a stair yes. down or up the limiting factor was like my leg just does not have the ability to produce force to do a simple task. Right, to yeah. transfer the force effectively. That's right. That's right. So, so anyway, uh, when 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 she falls down, it's because she she lacks the physical strength to overcome that shift in her in her center of balance, right? Uh, and then they fall. And, and but my point is that 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 expression, that balance, is an expression of strength. It's a derivative of strength. Right, and you can you can kind of go through all what people consider to be the the characteristics of physical fitness or physical existence, and, and show how strength is uh, is derivative. Right, so um, you know there there's things like uh, uh, speed and agility and all these things. Right, but again, if you look at it, what what is like if, if somebody runs faster? So how 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 much time? Let's just imagine somebody kind of running, right? Just running as fast as they can. Every stroke of their foot against the floor is a force production event, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a small amount of time, whatever that amount of time is, to produce as much force as you possibly can when your foot hits the floor to propel you forward, right? Now, a lot of that's going to be neurological, right? People are naturally fast or naturally slow based on their, their – uh, 
how, how much, you know, type one versus type two and uh, fast, fast twitch, slow twitch, their, their genetic endowment. Right. But that's nothing we can control. Right. You're born with what you're born. You're either going to be explosive or you're not. Um, but what you can control out of that equation, out of that, that force production equation or that power equation. Right. So power being force times time over distance. What you can control over that on that in that equation is the amount of force that you can produce when your foot hits. Right. Even though you might not turn on your muscles as quickly as somebody who's super explosive, how much force you're producing every time your foot hits the floor can be trained mm-hmm. through strength training, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. are you tracking with me? Makes total sense. Yeah, like okay. I've seen guys who have like, they'll throw like a tie kick and that thing looks slow as hell. They're just not, they're not fast people, but they're strong. So when that right. sucker hits you, it's yeah. still like getting hit by a truck. Exactly. Yeah. So bringing it into the into the, the, the fight world, right? You, you know, everybody knows that the guy who's bigger and stronger can hit you harder, right? Even though they might be slow, you might be 10 times faster than the guy and you might hit real hard. But if somebody outweighs you by 70 pounds and they're just a little bit slower than you, they're, they're going to hit you much harder. Yeah. Right. Because because they're stronger, they can produce more force. Um, you know, and then on the on the conditioning side of things. Uh, there's two ways to look at it, right? So as you get stronger, everything that you do uh, that's sub-maximal, right? So let's take like, let's just say you train your your deadlift. Your deadlift is the heaviest lift that you can do, right? Um, And you train that to a certain extent and that's that number in your head, whatever that, that load is, is the heaviest weight that you can lift. Everything else that you do is a percentage of that. Right. So, for example, picking up a picking up the a medicine ball. Right. That is a percentage of the deadlift. Okay. So, or of your maximal strength. So, uh, let's say let's say you deadlift 400 pounds. Medicine ball weighs 20 pounds. Or a better example, let's say you only deadlift 200 pounds, and the medicine ball weighs 20 pounds, or the kettlebell, or whatever it is. Right. It's a smaller percentage. So, as you increase your maximal strength whatever the implement or the tool or whatever thing you are training with is, it becomes a smaller percentage of your maximum strength. Mm, makes makes sense. sense. So if your job is to swing a, a 40 pound kettlebell a uh, hundred times and you deadlift 225 pounds, you are doing whatever that percentage is a hundred times. It's hard, right? Mm. If your deadlift is now 500 pounds, now that 40 pound kettlebell is a smaller percentage of your strength. Yeah. Do you see the implications there? So either the kettlebell is is the kettlebell's lighter for you, right? Lighter with air quotes here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that means that you can go faster. You can do more reps in a given amount of time, um, or whatever fixed effort. So let's say you're only supposed to do it 50 times. That becomes easier. Right? Does that make sense? For sure. So so, uh, as far as moving your own body, like moving your own ass through space, as you get stronger, moving yourself becomes easier. So you become a little bit faster, right? It takes less effort. It takes less effort to throw a hard punch. It takes less effort to absorb a punch. It takes less effort to sweep somebody, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So you can go harder or you can use less energy. Yeah. That makes total sense. Two ways to think about it. So, um, you know, that's kind of the quick, down and dirty 
idea of, of strength and how it applies to all this stuff. But you also have to kind of, you have, you also have to define your terms, right? So, um, and, and this is kind of where we get into the training conversation. So if, if we're going to, if we're going to say that strength is the most general adaptation, meaning that getting stronger will apply to more, to more physical attributes than anything else, right? So what a lot of people will do is try to train their conditioning or they'll try to train their, their balance or their speed. And they'll try to train these things individually when they haven't worked up to a base level of strength. Right. So my, uh, my point and our point at starting strength in general is that you need to achieve a base level of strength before working on and specializing on the skill of the individual um, performance aspects or characteristics. Right. Because. Yeah. So. So then that comes down to the question of, of 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 programming and what's your primary objective. So. If I'm a martial artist, for example, been doing it for, you know, for years, or I'm about to get into martial arts, yeah, would it would it make sense then for a person to have a would a person have to have a decent strength base before they could start martial arts? Not necessarily before they start, but my, the the point that I'm going to make is that your time outside of the uh, your time off the mat. Okay, mm-hmm. so. So think about training and think about practice, right? We have to define our terms. So training, we need to define as taking a physical attribute and improving it over time, right? And we're talking about the strength and conditioning terms, right? Because when we talk about martial arts, we just always call it training, and that is what you're doing, right? You're training, but really what you're doing is practicing, right? You're practicing your skill, you're improving uh, fixed movement patterns and you're getting better at those movement patterns, getting more efficient at those movement patterns and applying whatever physical attributes are improving to this, to the sport or to the, to the uh, activity through your practice. Okay. So on the mat, that's practice, right? When you go to the tournament, when you go to a fight, that's your performance, right? That's like the culmination of all your training and all your practice into a performance. So in strength and conditioning terms, or, you know, we're kind of the only ones that really talk about this in, in these terms. So like we have to spend some time discussing what the terms actually mean. Training is taking your strength or your, your uh, cardio or whatever and saying, this is where I am today. This is where I need to be. And this is how I'm going to get there. Right. And then that process is what you call training. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So um, the, the point is that for somebody who has not done a strength training program, the best thing that they can do to improve all of their physical attributes is to do a strength training program. Okay. Now, I'm not saying don't go do martial arts until you've done a strength training program. I'm saying that any time that's spent off the mats in the gym you should be doing a serious strength training program mm. because anything else that you do is essentially really a waste of time. You know, um, you'll feel like you're doing something, but your time spent outside of the gym is best used, uh, following a, a strength based program. Um, what the, the, to kind of boil this down, the, what I always tell people is that for somebody who's never done strength training before, the absolute best thing they can do for themselves in three to six months is follow a barbell strength training program to improve their performance on the mat. 
Mm. You know, and, and it, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that because it doesn't look like what you're doing on the mat. And everybody thinks that what they do in the gym needs to match what they're doing on the mat. Right. And it's yeah. a serious problem. This is like, uh, and, and this is how that whole thing, some of that kind of crept into that CrossFit defense video where this guy is like connecting, using the wrong terms because it's not a kinetic chain. It's a movement pattern. So connecting the movement pattern of a wall ball with a punch, right? It's not the same, right? The kinetic chain is actually the same, but the movement pattern is not the same. Well, so like for people, layman people who don't really know the difference between, because the word kinetic chain got thrown around like a bad habit for <laughs> yeah. freaking three weeks yeah. to the point where like, I thought I knew what it was <laughs> until right. I feel dumber as a result of like all of this crap that happened with it. So what is the difference between a kinetic chain and a movement pattern? Okay, well, a kinetic chain is so. Think of like uh, holding holding something, or let's just let's talk about a punch, all right? Because that's the kind of the, the relevant thing here. Let's talk about a punch. So, the kinetic chain in a punch is everything between the load, okay, the load being your fist hitting a hitting something, right, and the base of support, which is your feet, right. So, anything involved in that chain between what the effort is and what the what the where the base is is the kinetic chain so the kinetic chain for a, a wall ball for a punch for a uh, overhead press or a deadlift they're all exactly the same because it's the kinetic chain is from your hands to your feet does that make sense yeah so, so kinetic implies implies that's a kinetic. general thing that could almost apply to damn near everything if you're feeling That's right. Support. That's right. So it's, it's useless to even talk about it, okay. right? And, and, and a lot of like exercise science people will talk about kinetic chains and open chain and closed chain stuff. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, you can you can talk about it, and it's kind of a good thing, to, good way to um, to look at an exercise from like a thirty thousand foot view, maybe you know. But beyond that, if you're going to be training on your feet, if in other words, if you're not going to be on a machine the kinetic chain is going to be feet to your hands, right? If you're doing a squat, kinetic chain is feet to the bar on your back. Um, on a bench, it's the bar to the bench. Okay. Makes sense. So, but, but again, it's not, it's not even something useful to talk about. It's just kind of like, okay, that's the kinetic chain. So, uh, the, my point is that the kinetic chain for a punch and for the wall ball, yeah, is the same, but who cares? Because the kinetic chain for putting, a suit can in your cupboard is the same as well. That doesn't mean that you're learning how to punch by putting a suit can away, right? So what he's really trying to say is that the movement pattern is the same because you're doing an explosive hip extension when you do a wall ball, right? You're extending your hip explosively, you're extending your knees, and then you're transferring that force into the ball to get it to fly up, mm. right? But, but the movement pattern is not the same. Gotcha. It's not the same because in a, in a, in a punch or a kick, the, the, uh, the hips are moving, not like this, they're rotating, right? They're not moving. They're not extending, they're rotating. So it's a little bit kind of like unilateral, but, and then you're, you're transferring force from the back leg to the, to the opposite side. So things are kind of shifting. There's going to be movement. And also the fundamental thing to understand here is it's quick, right? Mm -hmm. You can do a wall ball as slow as you want to, because the fucking wall ball weighs 20 pounds. Mm. You don't want to punch with 20 pounds of force. You want to punch with 500 pounds of force. Yeah. So you, you're now introducing this power aspect of it. And while maybe you can do the first wall ball or the 10th wall ball hard and explosive, 
the 50th wall ball or the 150th wall ball, whatever Karen is, um, is not going to be explosive anymore. Yeah. Right. Because you're tired. Right. And, and things are just going to slow down automatically. Um, so, right. That's like that, that blending of, of the idea of your training looking like your, your, uh, your, your stuff in the gym looking like what you're doing on the mat. And I've been guilty of this, right? Like the first three years when I started thinking about this, I would, I think we talked about this, but I would shadow box with 10 pound dumbbells and all you're doing is teaching yourself how to throw a a slow punch. You know, it's not the same movement. As soon as you load it, it's not the same movement. So a better way is to get yourself strong and then apply that strength to your punch by shadow boxing, by sparring, by hitting mitts. Punching a bag. Yeah, punching a bag, things that are actually closer to, to what you're actually trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I feel like there was like this movement, and I guess fitness is just like anything else. It goes in these little uh, trends, but there's this movement towards um, sports-specific training where people yes. are trying to mimic the movements of the actual athlete in order to make them better at the athletics. And right. it's funny, now that I'm talking to you and I kind of look back on when I got the strongest, when I when, when when I lost my first fight, I was like, I need to get stronger. And yeah. I was just kind of a, you know, strength and conditioning nerd at the time. I was just, just digging into anything I could. And the best bang for my buck, because I knew I couldn't be in the gym forever lifting weights because I had to have energy for kickboxing. But right. I would literally squat, bench, deadlift, pull up. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, hey, that's it. That's all I got time for. And it seems to yeah. be the thing that makes me the strongest. And I remember I was 25. And for the record, everyone, I wasn't on steroids. <laughs> primarily because I couldn't afford them. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, if you, squat, if you squat 315, you're on steroids. I don't know if you know that. 315, wow, man. I'm, yeah, right? man, I'm yeah. to the gills, bro. <laughs> yeah, if you squat 405, man, you're definitely on steroids. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> your, your nuts have retracted into your body at that point. <laughs> you know? But seriously, like at 25 years old, doing squats, deadlifts, bench press, and, and even just adding in pull-ups, I went from like in a year from 155 to 175. Yeah. 20 pounds. Now, of course, I was 25 years old, right? Right. Eating like a horse or whatever. But it was the biggest bang for my buck. And it didn't make me, it didn't smoke me when I was going into the gym to go train. And then I could just get strong at kicking by kicking. Yeah. And transfer. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and the the trap that people fall in, I I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that, you know, if you go into the gym and you squat, you bench, you deadlift, you squat, you press, you deadlift, maybe do a little bit of Olympic lifting. um, At the end of that workout, uh, you don't feel wrecked, right? You don't feel like you do at the end of uh, a hard sparring session. You don't feel like you do after after five or six rounds of rolling. Uh, so people are, are equating that feeling with effectiveness or being sore with effectiveness, mm. right? So so they, that's that's kind of the, that's that's the main reason uh, in our world that people kind of get away from, from simple barbell stuff because it just doesn't feel hard. Right. Um, until you start adding weight to the bar, right. Until you start trying to fight for that next, that next PR, that next five pounds on the bar, it doesn't really get hard for a while. Um, but so why is it that you, that you gain the weight, that you got stronger? You know, if we're, 
if, if strength is going to be the, the way that you're going to improve all these other physical characteristics, we have to talk about why strength or how, how to acquire the strength. You know, so strength is the most general adaptation. Strength will apply across the board to, to all the other physical attributes other than like specialized, highly cardiovascular stuff like marathon running, right? If somebody's going to run marathons, they don't, they don't need to lift weights heavy, right? I mean, it, it'll help them a little bit in the off season, but they need to go run marathons. Like they need to just run for miles and miles and miles. But for everybody else, people who, who do, who, who do glycolytic stuff, you know, I mean, highly anaerobic stuff, which fighting is, um, strength is going to, is going to give you the most bang for the buck. So how do you get strong? You know, and, and this is kind of the next thing. Is it machines? Is it barbells? Is it CrossFit? You know, people will tell you that CrossFit is a strength program. Bullshit. It's not a strength program. A strength program means that you are controlling the variables that are going to produce strength, right? Your, the, the adaptation has to, I'm sorry, the stress has to match the adaptation. Okay. So if you're looking for a strength adaptation, you have to take something that's going to use lots of joints, lots of muscle mass, that's going to load your whole body and that you can progressively add weight to. Okay. And the things that fit those criteria the best are squats. Like you mentioned, squat, deadlift, uh, the overhead press, the bench press, and to some extent, the Olympic lifts, mm. um, the snatch and the, the, the snatch and the, and the clean, um, for strength purposes, power snatch, power, power clean typically work better. But, um, you know, if you, if you're spending four or five days on the uh, training martial arts, you probably only have time to do four lifts, squat, press, deadlift, squat, bench, deadlift. And that's, that's a, that's a strength program right there. It's four lifts and you go in and you do them. It takes you an hour to an hour and a half with warm ups and, and rest and all that stuff. And, uh, you only have to go in three days a week. You're hitting every single muscle in your body and every, not only that, but every muscle is doing its exact share of the work to move that load. Mm. Right. So, so in other words, like if you're doing an overhead press, your deltoids and your, your traps, the big muscles that, that move the shoulder are doing their job of moving the shoulder and the, the muscles that provide support, like the rotator cuff and the smaller muscles in your upper back they're doing their job to support the load over their head. So you don't have to worry about like working your rotator cuff because it's all being taken care of by this one highly efficient, very, very stressful lift. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So, I, had a, I had a strength coach. I was talking to a strength coach once about um, like, I, I've, this has been my year to kind of re reboot my body. I, I had a really rough two years before this, tons of injuries, dealing with a lot of stress. And I've been getting back into like strength routines or conditioning routines. I'm training more um, yeah. and I'm 42. So I address that, but I feel great at 42. So I'm not even, it's not really a factor. But when I was talking to him about like conditioning workouts, like doing some type of like either strongman type stuff, like I did some sled work stuff yesterday. Um, yeah. I asked him like, what was the point of, of doing that? And he was like, well, in your sport, because of where you are, generally it's easier for you to game your sport meaning like if i spar yes i can kind of i can coast a little bit i know when to rest i know how to recover so right. i'm not getting the the same bang for my buck unless i'm in there with with a killer and then that guy's yeah. not giving me any 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 space is there any is there any validity then to doing conditioning training outside of your sport if 
if, if that's a factor? Does that make, does that make sense at all? Or is there another way to approach it? Absolutely. That? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, and that's an excellent point. So, so look, the, you, you've got to think about this long term, right? So when I tell people to do strength training, um, you're going to focus exclusively on strength training for three to six months, right? And what that does is it gets what people call the, the novice uh, phase or the noob gains you see on the internet or, you know, uh, it, it kind of, it kind of takes care of that aspect of it. Right. Because literally there's nothing better you can do. If you, if you walk into the gym and you can only squat a hundred pounds, getting your squat up to 250 pounds is, is, is going to produce a vast improvement in your overall physical fitness. Mm. Okay. So now, but a lot of times we're dealing with people that are already athletic that have some background in strength training. So that, that process might be compressed, mm-hmm. right? So like if, 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 if you were my client, like if we started working together Monday, uh, I would put you on a basic, you know, three day a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, those four lifts. And we would probably be able to run that for a month or two. If mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and during that time you're learning the lifts, you're learning, to do them correctly, more efficiently, safely. So there's some aspect of that as well, right? Of learning to actually do the lifts. So that'll take a couple months and then you'll, you'll, you'll have achieved kind of, uh, the point where you're not just able to add more weight to the bar. So we'll start to slow things down. And at that point, absolutely. You're going to add some conditioning in because, because like you said, right, for someone at your level, you can, you can, back off a little bit if you need to, where the person that you're going with, like if you're sparring with somebody who's only been training for six months, mm-hmm. every time they spar with you, it's like a full maximal conditioning event, you know, where you can kind of relax and just work with them a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. The, that supplemental uh, conditioning will work, but what does that conditioning need to need to look like? And you, you mentioned sled pushes again, it needs to be very, very general, very high, uh, high output and very, very short. Right. So, uh, probably what you did, you know, like a, like a 20 second all out sled push as heavy as you can do it. And then you rest, mm-hmm. right. And you, you do that five, five to seven re- uh, rounds and, and then you're done. And that's, that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Right. You just go as hard as you can for as short as you can. Um, and something like a sled push is mostly concentric, right? There's no negative. Um, like there's no, uh, like a box jump, let's say like when you do a box jump, every time you come off the box, there's all this eccentric load, right? So it's very taxing. It's very, it's very, uh, um, it's, it's real hard on you where something like a sled push, all the, all the load is, is concentric mm. or all the effort is concentric. So it doesn't make you a sore. It doesn't beat up your muscles quite as much. So yeah, we're huge proponents of, of things like prowler pushes and sled pulls. Uh, um, but at, at the correct dose, right? Okay. So you, you do as much as you need and not more, uh, and not less, less is going to be not effective too much is going to cut into your training on the mat, right? So you, you kind of, and that can be trained too. So let's say you, you did it, uh, you did a sled push with 90 pounds. Next time you do it with 110 pounds mm-hmm. or you do, you add another round, you know, or you go 30 seconds rather than 20 seconds. Yeah. But those, those kind of things tend to, uh, have huge carryover, right? Because again, they're very general. Yeah. You know, what, what people will try to do is take a, a sled and they'll load it kind of light and they'll say, okay, well, you know, I spar for five minutes at a time, one minute break. So I'll push the sled for five minutes. Right. But, that's not really what, what you need to do, right? Because 
when you're fighting, you're not going for five minutes. You're going for two seconds, rest, two seconds, rest, two seconds, rest, five seconds, rest, 10 seconds, rest. You know, it's, it's really, really high output for a very, very short time. So what you need to train is, is the ability to like catch your breath essentially in a really, really quick time. That makes sense. Cause like the workout I did yesterday, um, do you know who Aaron Janetti is? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Aaron, um, I got to the gym on Monday and I was like, Aaron, I need, Aaron, I need a workout help. He's like, sweet. Got you. And he just sent me something. Cause I was like, Man, yeah, I, need yeah, work. Right. I need to move. So he sent me a pro It was like prowler push ring push up. I just told him what equipment I had on me. He was like, yeah, prowler push for basically 50 yards. It was about a 10 to 15 second exertion heavy. Yeah. Uh, he had me do like ring push ups, and then he had me do like step ups, one minute rest and go again. And, it was like every time I did it, like it got increasingly, it did it like seven rounds and I was done. That was it. When yeah. there was, I would go out right. about my day, go do my thing. And it was the same, I felt like I could go hard every time versus like I had a friend come up to me looking and go, oh, is that a CrossFit workout? I was like, no, if it was CrossFit, it would be for time. There would yeah. be no one minute rest period. And right. by the end of it, the prowler push would probably look like shit. I'd be, yeah. might as well be a, a prowler crawl. <laughs> and I wouldn't have the same quality of, of movement. That's right. And, and the, and the exertion. So you, as, as your ability to go really hard decreases, you, you kind of move into different uh, energy systems, mm. right? Which don't actually match the adaptation that you're looking for. Right. Because if you're, if you're doing, if you're pushing that sled, let's just like take an extreme example. Let's say you push the sled for a mile, right. And you go as hard as you can. So like, the the first 10 seconds of that are going to be as hard as you can. And then what does the, the next 20 minutes of that look like? It's just like you crawling behind the thing. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, um, so what we're trying to do is just, it, is maximize how many efforts you have at that high output, you know, where you can put up, you can put out a lot of output and just get completely rested. Like if I put somebody on a prowler workout, I'll have them do five to seven rounds and I'll tell them no more than 30 seconds, you know, so that's going to usually be 50 to a hundred feet or so Load it up as heavy as you can. I don't care if you walk it or if you sprint it, doesn't matter to me, just go hard, you know, and then rest about 90 seconds to two minutes. Like I want the person to be completely recovered before they go again, mm. because you know, you're training your, yourself to be to, you're, you're training that recovery time essentially. Right. Mm. And, and in that, in that 30 seconds or so, I want you to strip all the, you know, all the oxygen, all the substrate, everything you possibly can out of your system by going as hard as you can and then forcing yourself to recover in, in a fixed amount of time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that kind of stuff is super effective. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put somebody on that until they've achieved it again, a, a base level of strength, you know, and what is, what does that mean? We're not, I'm not saying people should be power lifters. I'm not interested in that at all. I'm just saying you need to be strong first. Right? Get some strength, then start going into uh, into more specific things. And really, at the end of the day, even for somebody who's been training for two years or three years or ten years, their time in the gym is not going to look that much different from how it did early on, right? They're they're going to be handling more weight. They might actually be doing less exercises. You know, for somebody who's doing a bunch of, of jujitsu or sparring they might squat twice a week deadlift once a week uh, and then alternate uh, upper body lift like a press and a bench and then they might do a prowler once or twice a week or no prowler 
right? Because, because if you, uh, um, if you, if you're rolling hard, you don't need to do any additional conditioning. Mm. If you've got, if you've got a, a, a tournament coming up or you've got a fight coming up, we'll start adding in some prowler. And at that point, it's kind of even more just a mental thing. You know, you, you just hit it hard on the prowler and then it's, uh, uh, it's just whatever, whatever small gains you can make in conditioning, you will with the prowler. But, um, and then when you, when you get on the mat, you just feel a lot better, you know, your recovery, but there's no need to, uh, you know, like people will do my, I'm going to fight three minute rounds. So I'm going to do this conditioning thing for six minute rounds, because if I can go for six minutes, I can go for three minutes. No, go a minute and a half and go harder. Yeah. Like I don't know why this like I my mind works in movies. <laughs> no, mine does too. Yeah, you know what I mean. I like, find myself, yeah, I find myself when I'm teaching. I'm like, you guys remember in like Predator or yeah, <laughs> and people like, all what the time. Talking about, man? <laughs> yeah. What movie was that when the guy was like, you know, what's yeah. better than six minute abs, seven minute abs? <laughs> I think it was like there's something about Mary or something, and the guy, yes. was, no, no, not seven, no six. Six is the number six. <laughs> <laughs> the fitness world does that though it's like yeah. when the tabata circuit first came out you know 20 seconds on 10 seconds off everyone's like well look 20 seconds on 10 seconds off is good when 40 and 20 must be better you know what's even right. better than that's 60 and 30 yeah. and yeah it's like, oh. i did a 4x tabata i did a 12x tabata okay you're not you're missing the point you're missing you're miss- the point <laughs> you're missing the point so yeah. why, so so tell me then why the barbell? What is the what is the inherent benefit of the barbell as far as like producing really strong athletes? Yeah, it's a great question, man. So uh, the way we present it at our seminars and in the in the book is there, there's three criteria. Okay, you want to select exercises that are uh, that use the most muscle mass over the longest effective range of motion and allow you to use the most weight. Okay, and bar, the barbell fits those criteria, and the barbell lifts that we that we use fit those criteria. Um, the the benefit of the barbell is that you can take normal human movement, meaning uh, pushes, pulls, and and hip extension, right? So so squats, um, squats, deadlifts, presses. Those are like fundamental human movements. And if you if you just kind of take yourself outside of the gym and think about how you move just in your regular life, these are, these are things that you're already doing, right? So what the barbell does is it's a, it's a, it's an ergonomic, uh, way to just load those movements. Mm. So when you you do a deadlift, you're doing just a normal human movement that you're able to load with an implement that is easy to hold onto, right? Because it's straight and it's fairly skinny. Um, and then also you can load it up very, very precisely. Right. So from, from day one, uh, when I first teach somebody how to deadlift, you know, most guys will deadlift 135. Um, at least, uh, most women will deadlift 65 pounds to 95 pounds at least. And so I'll start them at that and I'll teach them how to do a correct deadlift and then we'll just add weight and kind of when the form starts to break down a little bit, I'll say, all right, that's your starting weight. Right. And, and then next time you come in, we'll, we'll add a little bit of weight to this, but that, that precision of being able to, to do the reproduce the movement exactly the same and also be able to load it up incrementally is why the barbells are so effective, mm-hmm. right? Because I, you don't have to deal with like uh, the balance issue, right? So the, the, the popular thing in like personal training and functional training is to do 
movements that on an on a unstable surface, right? You stand on a BOSU ball or you stand on a wobble board or something. But not only are you trying to produce force, but you're also having to practice the skill of balancing on whatever the implement is. So there's too many variables going on, mm-hmm. right? There's too many things that you are tr- are working on at the same time. And not only that, they're completely ineffective. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you understand what I'm saying? So if you, if you get somebody and you give them like a five-pound chrome or pink dumbbell and you say, okay, stand on this wobbly thing and then bend over and touch the ground and then stand back up, it's really hard for them. Yeah. Right. It's really hard for them. But in order to get better at that thing, what do they have to do? They have to practice that a bunch of times because the, the load is, is the five pound dumbbell is, is inconsequential, right? They might as well just not even have it in their hand. Yeah. So they're practicing like balancing on this thing essentially. And then after like six weeks of personal training, you can finally touch the ground. But what have you, what have you accomplished by doing that? You've accomplished learning how to balance on wobbly thing. Right. Where if, if I show you how to deadlift day one and then you're doing the exact same movement, exact same movement, right? Normal loaded human movement and I'm just loading that movement over, over the course of six weeks, we can put 200 pounds on your deadlift, you know, maybe more depending on how athletic you are, um, 300 pounds, whatever. So we, we put a bunch of weight on that bar and you've done the same movement pattern and the only variable that has changed is the load on the bar. Right. So we can, um, how, how, I mean, how better do you, can you gauge strength? There's no, there's nothing else going on. And also at the same time, you're gaining all the benefits of the additional strength. Yeah. It's a lot more quantifiable of an approach. Like quantifiable yeah. is the way that, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Cause there's, that was an issue with like, even with the CrossFit, like they would, you know, say things like, um, you know, if your, if your friend time went up down, then you're getting more fit. Right. But there's also like any sport, there's a gaming component to that too. Right. Like I can, you know, I can, or I can get better at my, my butterfly pull up. So therefore I can cycle through it better. Or I found a rep scheme that I can game to allow me to like pick up the bar a little bit faster. So there's a lot of ways to get around it, but there's no way to game your deadlift. Like, right. you, I guess you could pick it up ugly, ugly, <laughs> but yeah, but, but if it's ugly, it's inefficient. And if it's inefficient, it's not going to be as much weight as you can do. Right. So th- th- that's the other key aspect of, of doing the barbell lifts is they're designed to, to be done efficiently. And if they're done inefficiently, you're limiting the amount of weight that you can lift. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's the big thing about starting strength is how to actually do it safely and efficiently. Uh, and a lot of times it takes a coach to do that, to help you with that. But um, the, yeah, lifting, we're, we're trying to optimize the way that the lift is done so that you are actually doing it the most efficient way, which means that it's going to be the way that's going to allow you to lift the most weight. Um, and back to your point on like, on like something like friend, this is great because, um, this is kind of the, the argument that you'll hear is, well, this guy's just talking about barbells. Once they're going to be power lifters, you know, all this stuff. Uh, if you're, if your frame time's improving, if your time on these, on these benchmark, uh, wads are improving, you're actually getting, uh, your, your fitness is improving. Yes, that's fine. Your fitness might be improving, but how do you define fitness? Is fitness def- different than optimal performance? I would say Yes. But also, look, if you want to improve your Fran time, doing Fran is not going to improve your Fran time, right? It'll improve your Fran time at first because, like you said, you're, you're improving the skill that is involved in doing the Fran. 
right? In, 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 in the skill in doing the, the, the pull up in doing the, uh, the thruster, um, you're getting more efficient at those movements, but how, how much will that give you? Right. If you're able to improve your skill at the movements that are in Fran, let's just throw out a number. Let's say you improve that by 5% or 10%, right? That'll give you X amount on the time, the, the, the total time of the workout, mm-hmm. right? So if you really want to improve your Fran, what do you do? The, the movements are thruster and pull up, right? If I remember that right. Yeah. 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 Thruster and pull up, right? So <laughs> if you, if you improve your, uh, your upper body strength, by deadlifting and pressing, and all of a sudden the the number of, of pull-ups that are required are easier to do, your frame time improves, right? Without even doing frame. Yeah. Um, your, uh, you, if you, you improve your deadlift and you improve your overhead press, you're just your overall strength, you squat a bunch, the thruster, the 135-pound thruster, or the 95-pound thruster, I don't remember what the weight is anymore. 95, yeah. No, yeah, the ninety. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, the 95-pound thruster, just like I mentioned at the beginning, right? Yeah. If you can squat 500 pounds, what is a 95-pound thruster to you? It's not shit, man. Yeah. Your frame time is going to improve. So, uh, and, and again, in a short amount of time, those are the things that are going to transfer most to a workout like that. Okay. And, and here's, a, here's a dirty secret. The, the people who, who who go to the CrossFit games, they're not doing random workouts. They're doing strength and conditioning like every other athlete on the planet. Oh, right? dude. I've been watching all the, the freaking um, documentaries <laughs> on Netflix. And, right. like, first of all, I'm not here to – I'm not shitting on CrossFit. I, I like – You both came from CrossFit, you know? I mean, yeah, I right? came from there too, yeah. I mean, I think it was – you know, it, it was – I enjoy watching the sport because I like seeing – humans do crazy shit like yeah, stuff that right. like oh my god i can't believe that guy's doing that that's awesome but yeah when yeah. i was watching the um i don't do crossfit anymore because you know, imagine that i got hurt a lot um, yeah <laughs> imagine that um but i watched the sport of it which is completely different from the workout itself and these guys are like cross training and everything they've got olympic lifting coaches they got weightlifting coaches sure. they are definitely not doing crossfit to get ready for the crossfit games yeah for yeah. sure <laughs> For sure. Yeah, but kind of the genius thing that they've done, and a lot of you know, look, there's there's a lot of excellent CrossFit coaches out there, a lot of excellent CrossFit affiliates out there. Um, so when you're arguing with people, it's usually the, the severely uninformed as as anything, right? I mean, the, the majority of internet arguments you get in with people are people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. But uh, yeah, anyway, the, the the genius thing about CrossFit is it's kind of co-opted all of the anything that's like strength and conditioning that's effective. And just th- thrown it in. So anything that you're doing, you could say is CrossFit, Everything. right? But really, it's not. If we're, what is the definition of CrossFit? It's uh, I don't I don't remember the, the the full phrase anymore. But it's it's uh, functional mo- movement done at high intensity, randomized functional movements done at high intensity. Yeah, over yeah. broad time and modal domains, right? But there's a there's an aspect of randomness in there, right? And that's why. CrossFit is exercise. It's not training, right? Mm. CrossFit, CrossFit is exercise. It's performance. It's not training because the, the, this to this, right. We talked about earlier, like starting here, getting to here, it's not programmed into what CrossFit actually is. Right now there are people that are training at CrossFit affiliates. They're doing strength based stuff. They're doing strength bias stuff. They're doing Olympic lifting. They're doing, 
uh, powerlifting classes. So those people are training at CrossFit, but they're not they're not doing CrossFit. Yeah. They're doing Olympic lifting at a CrossFit affiliate, right? They're, and they're doing all the things that go along with that, which includes getting stronger, getting your squat up, getting your deadlift up, practicing the Olympic lifts. Does that, does that make sense? It makes total okay. sense. A good portion of the people, like I used to own a CrossFit box years ago, and uh, actually I owned a mixed martial arts facility that had a CrossFit box built into it. And a yeah. good portion of my CrossFit instructors after a while went over to powerlifting and Olympic lifting. Like that, right. that was the thing that like really, really interested them because they realized that there was a lot of bang for their buck there. There was also yeah. an, an, a lot of skill involved in that that made it a sport within itself. Right. And, and they found that to be interesting. But what I wanted to ask you about then is, it, I like that, that analogy of like, you know, CrossFit is exercise, not training yeah. because of the randomized aspect of it. But it, I think part of them saying the randomized part uh, is, is effective goes back to the novelty thing you're saying before, where that most people get their growth in that novel, that growth in their novelty phase. And yeah. therefore, if you keep people in a novelty phase all the time, kind of guessing what they're going to do, then right. their body is going to grow and be able to adapt to random various things on the planet. That That's me kind of playing devil's advocate with the CrossFit yeah. thing. What is your, what would be your take on that? Well, that's right, but only up to a certain point, right? So, so couch potato to crossfitter, right? And then what's beyond that? You know, the, the athlete who has specific demands for whatever they're doing is going to be is going to have a different set of requirements than crossfit allows for, mm. right? So, you're you're going to be a, a jack of all trades, and you're not going to be well, well, not even a jack of all trades. I mean, you you'll have experience in all trades, but you won't be particularly good at any one of them. Mm. Right. So, and that, that's appealing at first, right? And and you you brought up an excellent point. You know, people go into the Olympic lifting, they go into powerlifting, and CrossFit is an excellent uh, introduction to serious training, mm. right? The the awesome thing that CrossFit has done for for a company like ours, and for you know for strength coaches and for Olympic lifting coaches, is it's it's brought barbells and hard training to the masses, right? So, so like everybody's mom knows that if they want to lift barbells and they want to have muscles, they're going to go to CrossFit and they're going to sweat, right? But there, there's a, uh, there, there's a limiting effect because of the, because of how damaging the workouts are, workout to workout to workout. Some people thrive on that and they love it. Like they love beating the shit out of, out of themselves. But for most people, these things, the CrossFit serves as kind of a feeder for like more serious training. So you, the, the, the guys who have, who, who are smart about this, they'll have a good Olympic lifting program and they'll have a good powerlifting program so that when they're the, their clients and their members are tired of, of beating themselves to hell, they'll be like, look, just join the Olympic lifting program. You like the Olympic lifts, right? Yeah. Join the Olympic lifting program. And now you're not doing wads anymore. You're going in and you're training. Mm, right. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, um, Gateway because <laughs> you know CrossFit affiliates have high turnover. They have high high churn rates. You know um, because it's just people aren't interested in tearing up their shoulders. You know, after a year or two of CrossFit, their squats not going up anymore. Um, I've I've trained so many people that come into my gym. Um, in Wichita Falls Athletic Club here, and they're like, "Look, I've I've been doing CrossFit for two years." 
I've always wanted to squat 200 pounds and my squat's been stuck at 175 where guys will come in and they're like, look, I've always wanted to squat 400. I don't know if I'll ever do it. Um, my squat's stuck at 315, you know, and they've been doing CrossFit for two years, but they, they, they realize, you know, they want to improve something and those, the numbers on those lifts are kind of like, I mean, these are, they realize that it's important, you know, it's important to get stronger in those things. Mm. So speaking of shoulders, shoulder injuries, yeah, I want to go into Olympic lifting. Yeah, particularly the snatch. Okay, so I I've talked to a couple of different. I'm getting different feedbacks from different coaches about snatch. Don't snatch. Is it is it is it even important for um, not only the average person but the average the 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 average and professional athlete who wants to generate more power? They want to be stronger. Yeah, but is concerned with the inherent, I would say, safety issue of the snatch. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about movement patterns and things of that nature. It's it after talking to you and understanding that the, the exercise doesn't have to mimic your um, sport in order to be effective. But right. I do have a hard time looking at the snatch and going like bang for the buck. Is that the best way to generate power without ripping people's shoulders in half? And oh. Okay. No, no. Look, yeah, the, the snatch is cool. It's awesome. Um, but uh, it, it depends on what your goals are. So uh, let me start by saying the snatch will not transfer much into any athletic thing as far as like improving your, your foot speed or any of the things that people try to do the snatch for, right? Uh I mean, all that stuff is, 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 is inherent in the snatch, but it's just a part of the movement. And once you learn how to snatch, how quickly you move your feet and all this stuff is not going to get any better mm. outside the context of doing the snatch. Gotcha. All right. Now that's like a confusing way of, of really saying just no. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so let me tell you where the snatch fits into a, a strength and conditioning program. Okay, so for a very explosive athlete, right, meaning somebody, and the way I def we're going to define explosive is somebody who can turn on a lot of uh, motor units very, very quickly. So the guys who have very high vertical jumps, the guys who are playing college football, uh, uh, NFL athletes, you know, the, the very, very gifted athletes, um, uh, the, the snatch is, is a way to train power production along with strength. Okay. So you're doing your squats, you're doing your uh, deadlifts, you're doing your presses, and then you're also doing the Olympic lifts to, to train power along with strength. Okay. okay now for the, make sense so far? Yeah. So the, the problem with the snatch is it's super, it's light, right? Now for somebody who's extremely strong and extremely explosive, even though that's light, it's still going to be a fairly heavy weight. So they're still going to be able to derive some training effect from that lift. Mm. For the vast majority of us normal people who are not natural gifted athletes, the snatch is a skill in and of itself that you may or may not choose to do. Okay. Now, if your training time in the gym is limited, I'd say don't do it. There's no need to because if you can if you can deadlift 400 pounds, let's say you can clean 225, what are you going to snatch? 155, 165. And that's assuming that you actually know how to do the damn thing. Yeah. Right. So, so what, what adaptation is that snatch actually producing at that load? 
it's not producing a strength adaptation, right? You're, you're, uh, you're working on power a little bit, but if you're not particularly explosive, um, that time is best spent just training on the, on the mat, right? It's tra- training at, at, at martial arts. Yeah. Um, or whatever your sport. I'm sorry? Or whatever your, your sport. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. So if you're, uh, now with all that said, it's, it's a great lift. It's cool. It's fun to do. Um, so I think there's value in learning how to do it. If you're going to be a barbell coach, I think that you need to know how to, how to do and teach a snatch, um, because it's, it's kind of a fundamental thing. Uh, but outside of, outside of, of that, it's not necessary for most people. Um, and the shoulder situation, if, if somebody's got particularly bad shoulders, uh, no, I wouldn't have a snatch. Now what I, what I will have people do if they really want to snatch and their shoulders are bad is I'll have them split snatch. I don't know if you know what that is, but mm-hmm. you know how, you know how when you jerk, you split your feet. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can snatch that way too. It's kind of an old school way of doing it. Oh. If, you, if you look at pictures or videos from like the fifties and, uh, sixties or before, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see guys doing split snatches. It's really cool looking. Oh. Uh, so when you split snatch, your torso stays more, more vertical, okay. right? When you do a, a squat snatch, your torso is more horizontal, so it puts your shoulders at this kind of weird angle. Yeah. Uh, when you do a split snatch, you stay you stay vertical, and then you, you're, most guys are able to split snatch just fine, even if they have the bad shoulders. So if you like doing snatches, you should do them. Yeah. But don't kid yourself about what that's doing in terms of your your martial arts training. Yeah. Uh, Right. So, so keep it in perspective. It's not helping. I'm I'm just going to like take the leap here and say, it's not going to help your martial arts, but it's a good lift to do. And it it helps you work on your pulling mechanics and your, your speed and stuff, your speed on, on the lift. Uh, and it's cool, but I would have you split snatch. I wouldn't have you do a regular snatch. In other words, you're not missing out on anything by just not snatching. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah. And going back to, I guess that, what you talked about before when you're talking about producing power, if the speed component, if a big portion of the speed component is, let's say, genetic, you know, some people, yeah. you're either faster or you're not. The one thing you do have control over, all people have control over massively, is building strength. And that's right. The basic fundamental lifts that you're that's talking right. about are the ones that spend most of your time on. Right. I would rather get your deadlift to 500, your rack pulls to 550 or 600. And that will produce better, uh, better uh, results on in your in your martial arts or your sport than spending six months working on your snatch. Okay. If you're if you're an Olympic lifter, obviously, right, you're going to do that. But um, outside of that context, it's not uh, it's not going to be a huge part of most people's strength and conditioning training. Okay, good deal. Same with a power clean or, or a clean. You know, it's the same. The, the clean can go heavier, and the clean has a, a little bit more. Uh, closer application to this kind of stuff. So like in our program, it's squat, press, deadlift, squat, bench, power clean. We do the, we, we typically have people do the power clean, but, um, as far as, as far as like somebody who's, who's unathletic or doesn't have time to learn the power clean, power clean is the first thing we'll drop because again, you can spend more time deadlifting and get, and get just as much uh, benefit from it for most people. Okay. So when people are transferring over in your system from like the power lifts to introducing Olympic lifting, you would start with like the power clean and then perhaps go a little bit more into it. Okay. Yeah. And there's reasons for that because the way we teach the squat, we have, we do a low bar squat that requires a, 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 a 
a fairly horizontal back angle. So if I start teaching somebody how to do a full clean, they're standing up out of their out of the bottom of the clean with a front squat. Um, so if I'm trying to teach this this back angle movement pattern, and then at the same time I'm teaching this back angle movement pattern on the squat, like a more more vertical, it, uh, it for new lifters it tends to create problems. Yeah, and that draws a, a parallel to going back to the beginning about fit the fight and. Um, and the way it sounds like you're approaching your lifting, like one thing I liked about the fit the fight model is that Ryan will openly say that, like, you know, for instance, is our is our gun defense the best gun defense on the planet? Maybe, maybe not. But yeah. what it is, is transferable information that we use in a lot of different scenarios. And a, yes. and a person is better off having one thing that they do really, really well over broad modalities. Yeah. than to have 20 different things that they do so-so when your life depends on it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that approach makes sense. Yeah. Good deal, yeah. man. So where, where can people get um, in, in, in touch with you um, as far as information about what you do and, 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 and what you got coming up? Yeah, so our, our main thing is uh, spartanstrength.com. Uh, my personal uh, contact stuff, I, I own Defense Krav Maga in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, Instagram's at Coach Nikolai. It's a kind of an inside joke, which doesn't work. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, man, we're, we we've got coaches, starting strength coaches all over the country. Uh, we've got a directory on startingstrength.com. If you're interested in, in barbell training, uh, you will not be wasting your time and money by going to see one of these guys. They're absolutely the best movement coaches on the planet. No joke. Um, you know, we have an extremely rigorous, uh, certification process. We have, um, you know, we have 10 or so people try out for it every, every month at our seminars and we'll maybe pass one of those, uh, every month. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a very valuable, uh, credential and the coaches who are certified in it are extremely good. So, um, we've got affiliate gyms across the country. We're starting, we're going to start doing some franchise gyms. Uh, they're starting strength branded gyms, uh, pretty soon starting here in Texas. So, uh, look for us in the next couple of years. We'll hopefully we'll be all over the country with starting strength gyms as well. Hell yeah, man. Well, you got me pumped. I'm going to get back to my barbell work. Um, do you have anybody in Charlotte? Uh, Charlotte? No, we don't. We've got some folks in, in uh, North Carolina at, uh, What's the name of the town? Bogue, North Carolina. Okay. It's over on the, on the coast. Um, and then down in Atlanta and uh, up in Tennessee and stuff. But uh, you got you to gotta come out to a seminar, man. You, you seem to kind of get this stuff, so I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. Man, I nerd out on this stuff, man. Like, like <laughs> I told people all – I tell people there's no secret. There's no altruism to my podcast. It is literally like I have interest. I have cool people I want to talk to that know way more about this than I do. So I figure if I'm going to talk to them anyway, I might as well record it and share it with the world. Maybe somebody else to get something out of it, you know? So <laughs> yeah, right, right. Definitely down to, to, to come come train with you guys, man. And I, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to start a barbell routine uh, now. My body's feeling good. I'm feeling healthy, better than I have in a really, really long time. So yeah. I want to get strong, man. I want to start throwing some of these big pups around. <laughs> we had a guy. We, we did the Forge program. With uh, Fit the Fight, the uh, it was like the advanced instructor training program. Have you ever met Hassan? No. He's uh-huh. one of uh, the Fit the Fight black belts. Big, strong, former football player, dude. He's talented. Nice. He knows how to shoot a gun. He knows how to kickbox. He knows how to wrestle. 
he is strong as an ox. Yeah. And he's done some MMA training. So him and yeah. I were going at it, bro. Like he's like oh. two, 215. No, he's like 220. 220, yeah. but he's down from 265 and he still has that same strength that he had from football. That's right. Yeah. And like most people, I'm like, you know, if they get in on a, on a double leg on me, I'm like, oh man, I could sprawl out and, and pop my hips, no problem. That motherfucker threw me like, <laughs> like I was a 10 pound child. Yeah. And I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm a grown ass man and you just pick me up like I weigh nothing. <laughs> Like, yeah, this yeah. is not happening again. <laughs> I need to get strong, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm down, man. I really appreciate you getting on the show and, and sharing this information. I'd love to have you back. Um, and I'll, I'm going to come out there and train with you guys soon. Let's set up a date. Sure, man. After yeah. that. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for joining the show. Remember, you are a fighter the day you decide to become one. And today might be that day. Stay focused, everyone. Take care. That was another great episode of The Fight Focus. I hope you all learned as much from that as I did. For show notes and links, visit us on the web at www.thefightfocus.libsyn.com. You can now also check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Just search The Fight Focus. Please like, subscribe, and share the page. Um, You sharing our podcast means the world to us. It allows us to get our word out and share what we find valuable and hopefully you find valuable too. Take care, everyone. Stay focused.